We now have uh, reached the uh, final item on the agenda. And um, as you see, I have morphed uh, using my Eric. <laughs> you lost your job. Yeah, I lost my job. I lost my job. <laughs> so, Sounds severe. <laughs> anyway, um, so the idea is we will have a panel debate. It will not last um, maximum, well, probably less than an hour. Uh, we have asked four speakers to give presentations because we would like to uh, highlight uh, a number of items that have not well, some items that we think need amplification and other items that have not been sufficiently addressed. So we thought that we would we would start the panel by asking Asimina to uh, speak on uh, the situation in Greece, especially Asimina, of course, is uh, from Greece and uh, also works on civil society, public sphere, so she can give much more of a bottom-up perspective on the effects of the crisis. And uh, then we'd like to ask Fritjof uh, to reflect on legitimacy and uh, effectiveness. Okay. But then we will ask uh, Mark to uh, speak on the situation in Italy, and uh, Ben Sulfus will speak on uh, the situation in Norway. So we get different perspectives on this. And then you have eight, eight minutes each, uh, and... Uh, Asimina, please stop. Okay, thank you. Uh, right, um, I'll try not to depress you too much because <laughs> it's uh, it's already the last session of two days of rather depressing uh, discussions. Um, depressing, did you say? Yes. Depressing. Well, both, I suppose, both. but okay. uh, well, mostly I just want depressing. To yeah. Um, but so I'm I'm uh, I'm charged uh, with uh, giving you the human dimension of the crisis, if that is possible, um, by uh, talking about the situation in Greece. Um, and I'll try to link it up a little bit with uh, what has been already discussed. Um, so to start with uh, the question, uh, what kind of crisis uh, are, we, are we talking about? Well, uh, it's certainly an economic one, and you all know uh, that uh, Greece is in a very bad situation. Uh, just briefly to give you the latest on unemployment, we're now on 26%, uh, which apparently is record-breaking. Um, and amongst the under-25s, this is uh, at around 58% uh, and 65% for women. Um, the, the problem, I mean, just talking about unemployment figures doesn't say much, but uh, it's important to know that there is no safety net anymore. So even three years ago, there was some basic uh, provision for those who become unemployed. Now that's gone. So once you lose your job, that's it. If you have some family who is still working or has some sort of income, you may get by for some time until their income runs out as well. But um, the situation is that uh, overnight people become unemployed and also homeless and also hungry. Um, and there is no safety net uh, for them uh, or for their children. So now uh, there are several reports of children fainting in schools because they haven't uh, eaten and so on, and people queuing uh, in uh, um, uh, uh, for charity meals. So the church has actually, I don't know, 
quadrupled or even more uh, the meals that they're giving out. And whereas three years ago it was mostly illegal immigrants, now it's mostly Greeks. Because the immigrants have tried uh, desperately to get out of Greece uh, to uh, avoid uh, this dire situation. In terms of political crisis, um, we've had several governments over the last uh, year since the outbreak of the crisis that are governments only in name. Uh, because they uh, they have specific um, programs to uh, implement, uh, they have no skills or willingness to negotiate any of the terms of the uh, bailout uh, or austerity packages, and therefore they have no legitimation in the eyes of the people. And what we see for the first time is that it's not. I mean. Politicians have never had the trust of the Greek people. Uh, but the institutions, the democratic institutions, have always been trusted. So the Greeks have always had faith in democracy and in the parliament as an institution, never mind that they always thought those inside the parliament are kind of crooks and thugs. Now they have lost that. So we've come to a point of uh, let everything burn down. So those who propose that we should blow up the parliament and those inside it are becoming more and more popular. Also calls for lynching or shooting or, I don't know, throwing yogurts and whatever at uh, politicians are becoming more and more um, um, prominent in the public discourse and more accepted. It's, it, it, it's becoming okay to slap a politician. And the parties who say, when we come to power, i.e. Golden Dawn, the uh, Nazi party, we will um, beat you. Uh, they're popular precisely for that reason, because pretty much every Greek would like to grab uh, the, you know, one of the members of, 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 of the government and beat them up. Regardless of party? Regardless of party. Um, which is which is dangerous. Um, on the other hand, parties themselves cannot cannot seem to be able to bring forward any credible <coughs> proposition, and they they cannot seem to be able to even implement those things that they have agreed to implement. So, one uh, thing that uh, plays out every few months, and uh, it was this week actually, uh, yesterday and the day before, that the troika uh, was in Athens again to assess our progress and uh, not surprisingly again they said oh you've made no progress you're not meeting your targets we're withholding your um, installment and this goes on every few months and it's a, it's an ever-ending uh, cycle and uh, they're pushing for more measures even though the measures they're pushing for are not yielding the results that they want because there's not people have no more money to pay that's the end of uh, there it doesn't matter how the tax system is shaped the people have no money so if they have no money they won't pay anything um, in terms of the uh, growth this is something that is uh, discussed a lot uh, we should have more growth not just austerity but when it comes to taking uh, any steps to encourage growth these steps uh, well then the the Politicians in Greece, uh, together with uh, the Troika, decided that uh, one way to stimulate growth is to sell everything, privatize everything, or well, whatever is left anyway, um, 
and also encourage um, investments by creating a, um, a special um, employment zones where the conditions of employment will be up to the employers. And also dropping the minimum salary, the aim is to lower it to 300 euros per month. Uh, at the same time, tax on goods including uh, basic need foods like uh, yeah, f uh, basic need uh, foods and, and uh, other things you need to get by on a daily basis is at 23%. That's a universal tax and it also includes uh, uh, services uh, and tourism which is a main source of income and all our competitors have uh, 12 or 10% tax on uh, services or lower. So we can't compete. Um, the last thing about uh, um, uh, the crisis is that it has, it's not just democratic, it's, it's also existential in the sense that there's different um, levels of fighting, or it, it's more not existential, but it's a survival thing. It's a, it has become a, a, an issue of survival, both of the political establishment, but also of the people at an individual level. So when it comes to the political establishment, what they have done is they have pretty much disgraced and, and um, um, I'm not sure what, what other word I can think of, the constitution. Uh, it, has, it, it does not uh, have any effect whatsoever anymore, de facto. So all the memorandums they have signed have given over sovereignty uh, to the lenders and uh, in case of disputes or Greece falling back on uh, payments and so on, uh, any issues are to be resolved through courts uh, in <coughs> Luxembourg uh, on the basis of English law. So, uh, and the way the memorandums or bailouts were agreed or approved was unconstitutional in the first place. And the way they continue to turn the, um, these agreements into laws of the Greek state is also unconstitutional and illegal. So, um, in effect, they have undermined their own existence. Um, but they continue to fight. They continue to cling on as hard as they can uh, on to power. Um, the, the only result of that is that all the latest polls, so okay, the two main parties now is the New Democracy, currently in power, uh, and the left Syriza, they're neck and neck, and neck at about 20% each. But uh, the real worry is the, well, it fluctuates between 20 and 30%, depending on the months and the polling uh, agency, of those who say that they are undecided or who uh, will vote, uh, will cast a, a, a blank or a spoiled vote. They're up for grabs. Uh, Golden Dawn has a steady 10%, sometimes it goes up to 11%, sometimes 95 but they're there. So those undecided uh, are quite likely uh, going to vote for Golden Dawn. And I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out to be not a neck-and-neck neck race between Syriza and New Democracy, but between Syriza and Golden Dawn. Mm. Um, New Democracy in itself has... Uh, party members of New Democracy have, have ideological affiliations with Golden Dawn. Mm. It's just that before Golden Dawn was on the sideline, it was an <coughs> obscure group, it's no longer uh, embarrassing to say that you're a nationalist neo-Nazi. Uh, 
because they also don't call themselves neo-Nazis, they call themselves all sorts of other euphemistic uh, names. And since the voters <coughs> who vote for Now for Gold and Don used to vote for New Democracy and have been grossly disappointed, they're no longer mm -hmm. embarrassed. And then there is the group of people who vote for Gold and Don just because they promise to, to teach a really good lesson to the rest of the parties once they come to power. Um, so is there a future uh, in all of this and what kind of future is that? Well, it could be a bleak future, but it could also be a more optimistic future. There is more solidarity among people, mm -hmm. reaching out to um, <coughs> support each other, despite the consistent efforts to turn different societal groups uh, against each other. Do you think, is that right? Yes. I mean, the, the, there is, of course, a, a very clear pattern. Let's first turn public sector employees against private sector employees mm. by blaming the first for everything. But um, now people are beginning to see that whatever happens in the public sector is just going to trickle down and affect them. You know, they're next in line. So they, mm. they are beginning to see through this, and they're reaching out um, in solidarity. Um, also, what I think is encouraging is that more and more people, like uh, academics and so on, start speaking up about the um, non-feasibility of this this plan. This is just not going to work, and something needs to be done about it. And I think the Greeks have been really afraid and scared that, okay, we have no choice. Therefore, we will accept whatever. The people in power tell us because really we have no choice. They were convinced, they've been convinced of that. That's why there haven't been more uh, protests and more um, social unrest up to now. But so now it's a matter of will the public uh, uh, protests uh, be the kind of golden dawn driven ones or will they be the ones that will be driven by the, the, um, the, the, the realization that there is another choice. And for that to happen, those uh, with the know-how need to speak up a little bit more loudly and, and, and inform people that, look, there is another option. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Mark, please. Right. Well, I've been asked to talk about Italy, recent elections, what they mean for Europe. I want to put it in context. I've tried to summarize everything in seven points. I hope I managed to do it. Uh, first point. Uh, I think Italy has never overcome the collapse of the First Republic in 1992 to 1994, and which has created a 20 years crisis. Uh, ever since 1994, weak litigious governments of the centre-right, or weak litigious governments of the centre-left, have failed to deal with the legacy of the First Republic, uh, and above all, high debt load, inefficient institutions, above all, the legal system, also universities, schools, waste in regional and provincial levels of government, and the famous conflict of interest question, uh, which is personified by Silvio Berlusconi. I think this is the first point. You have to understand that what's going on in Italy now as, in a sense, a culmination of a two-decades-long crisis, in my opinion. The second point, I think, is that there's a sense in which European integration has made the problems worse. How? By raising the bar. The Euros made devaluation impossible, which has always been Italy's classic method of getting out of its problems. And it's also, by things like the 2020 initiative and bar setting in all kinds of different ways, made Italian politicians realize how many of the institutions of the country are not, uh, not reaching, inverted commas, European standards. 
On the other hand, it has to be said that without Europe, the EU, it's very probable that Italy's politicians of the last 20 years wouldn't even have tried to reform, and the Italians refer to this as the vincolo esterno, the outside constraint, which is compelling reform. Uh, I think the third point is one I made yesterday. European Union has a large line of credit in Italy. It's equated with prosperity and political stability. And certainly, the country's political elites are extraordinarily, passionately pro-European. Nevertheless, this line of credit has been eroded, particularly since 2002. The handling, the euro was introduced, it was mishandled, it led to inflation. Everybody said the inflation went to 3 or 4%. I have never met anyone who believes that, because the figures were much higher. And the decade of stagnation which has followed the uh, introduction of the euro has been blamed by public opinion on the political class. But the political class, Berlusconi being the obvious example, but on the centre-left also, in, in a more subtle way, have transferred the blame from the domestic level to the European level. I think that's, that's fairly clear. I think the fourth point that this 20 years crisis that I'm talking about has unquestionably generated, and it's one of the things we're talking about today, kind of crisis of, leg of legitimacy among society. There's a real sense in Italy. I, I, I think it's incredibly strong, and I can say that from personal experience, because I lived in Italy from 87 to 93, and again since 2002, and this is the biggest single difference I notice. Uh, it's that society and politics are profoundly unjust. People felt that at the end of the First Republic, they felt the politicians were corrupt, but they now feel society is unjust. Unjust to who? Unjust to the young. Lack of opportunities, lack of meritocracy, unemployment, over 60s have generous pensions, welfare that anybody currently under 54 will, will probably never have. So there's an injustice to the young. Second, there's injustice to the honest. This is a broadly, people really believe this. Some people pay taxes, others do not. The burden of paying for austerity has fallen on the shoulders of the salaried, salaried upper middle class, i.e. university professors. <laughs> widespread resentment is this, it, there's widespread resentment of people who are perceived as free riders. Uh, I think, this is, again, this is an extraordinarily strong uh, situation. Third, the society is perceived as being unjust to the powerless, which may be another way of saying the ordinary citizen. Uh, people think that all power is in the hands of a relatively small class, that democracy has been usurped by the political parties, and in this respect, the mood is very similar to what happened before 1992, when you had La Rete, the Lega Nord, and the Electoral Reform Movement, three very different groups, but all of whom were campaigning against the patitocracy, you know, the, the partyocracy. The similar mood is exi exists. And they think that power democracy has also been usurped by European elites. And people believe it's necessary to reclaim democracy. I mean, the Movimento Cinque Stelle has its crazy points. It's nevertheless very much a bottom-up movement to reclaim democracy. And a similar, and in my opinion, healthier state of affairs is shown by the massive participation in the primaries organized by the Partito Democratico, which have consistently voted against the party's nominees. You've had massive low... Uh, 3.5 million people paying two euros to go and vote 
uh, in, to organize the, to choose the party's leadership. There's an enormous desire in Italy to, to, to reclaim democracy. Uh, and I think some of the party leaders are very nervous about this, but they, they feel they have no choice. Okay, fifth point. Uh, if you keep all these factors in mind, I think you can understand why Mario Monti, despite the best wishes of a lot of people in the EU, turned out to be no more than a stopgap measure. Uh, and, and why Monti was not able to mobilize a political movement. He was respected, but he wasn't inspirational. He raised taxes, didn't really try to cut wasteful spending, and was, in a sense, almost the personification of an elite, undemocratic kind of politics. No? I mean, how undemocratic can you get? I mean, no one was elected in his government. The notion is incredibly widespread. All you have to go on the internet and you will see the notion that Monty was a banker's government is everywhere. The notion that Monty was imposed by a kind of plot of uh, uh, Goldman Sachs and various other groups is not as widespread, but it exists on a very large scale, including among members of the Movimento Cinque Stelle. I attended the Movimento Cinque Stelle meeting and some of the things that were said about Monty and his government, I found it hard to believe. Uh, it's really widespread, and I think it contributed to the rise of the Movimento Cinque Stelle, and the fact that it went from 8 or 10% in the opinion polls to 25% has a lot to do with this. Uh, Berlusconi brilliantly grasped during the electoral campaign that there was a populist sense that it was necessary to campaign against the bankers, against Europe, against the Poteri Forte, which is ridiculous when you think who he is. Which is one reason why Berlusconi was humiliated. Berlusconi was defeated, but he wasn't humiliatingly defeated as a result. He, he contained the catastrophe that, frankly, given his behavior, should have occurred. I think Monty's entry into politics was designed to replace this populist right, but it basically was swimming against the tide of Italian public opinion because it represented a continuation of the status quo. And one thing Italians do not want to do is a continuation of the status quo. I would also add Italian voters are extremely sophisticated about politics and they've learned. And I think if there's one thing that the election was about, it is we are not going to, repli we are not going to repeat Greece, Portugal and Spain. I, that's my opinion. But I think people are very conscious of that. Okay, so what happened? We've had this government. It, we've now had the elections. I, I'm assuming you all know the elections. I think it's very hard to imagine a coherent government emerging from the current situation. There are basically four alternatives, as far as I can see, assuming an alternative can be found. The first alternative is that the Partito Democratico, led by Bersani, some and the and the cent and the left form a government with external support of the Movimento Cinque Stelle, uh, with Beppe Grillo. There are many points of contact in their program. The trouble with it is that Grillo says we're not allying with anybody because they're all responsible. Why should we be touched by, why should we touch Sin? No? Uh, the government, I think, such a government would almost certainly be unstable. It would be unstable because of the nature of the, of the Cinque Stelle, and it would be unstable also because of the nature of the PD, 
because there are plenty of people in the PD who might split away from the party if that solution was, took place. Second alternative, and here I make the sign of the cross, is the Governissimo. PD and PDL, the Berlusconi's party, form a great coalition. I, I, I'm now going to editorialise because we're not doing science anymore, we're talking politics. I think that would be catastrophic. I think it would be catastrophic. Uh, it would discredit, I think, completely the Democratic Party. Uh, Luigi Bersani has said he doesn't intend to commit suicide by doing it. But in any event, even if it occurred, even if it was implemented, it would be extremely unstable for the nature of the, people, the parties that compose it. Third alternative is all the president's men. President Napolitano or his successor, because this could easily drag on until his successor has been nominated, uh, chooses a government of established figures with a limited mandate, a bit like the Dini government in 1995, perhaps with some technocrats in it, but also some established political figures uh, with a mandate to make reforms. I think the characteristic of this kind of government is that it would be extremely unstable uh, because the measures that it would need to implement would be extraordinarily difficult to implement in the context of the current parliament, uh, who would also incidentally have no incentive whatever to vote for some of the measures which this government would have to introduce. And the final alternative is voting again. Now, the problem with voting, again, there probably are other alternatives, incidentally. Perhaps Professor Mayoni can come up with others, but these are four which occur to me. The <coughs> problem is to vote again. Two huge problems with voting again. One is the electoral law. The Italian electoral law gives the largest coalition 55% of the votes in the Chamber of Deputies, even if it only has a narrow plurality of the vote. Uh, what does that mean? Well, think about it. I actually think, I mean, you know, this is pure futurology. We have no, I have no scientific benefit for saying this, but I think there is a very strong chance indeed that Berlusconi could actually win with, 30, with a third of the vote, together with the Lega Nord, and get 55% of the seats in the Chamber of Deputies. That could happen. I don't think Berlusconi could ever win in the Senate, and I don't think the Movimento Cinque Stelle could ever win in the Senate. I don't think, given the nature of the electoral law, anybody can ever win in the Senate right now, unless things change dra dramatically. But in the Chamber of Deputies, you could have... I think there's a strong likelihood in the current situation that Berlusconi would emerge as the largest uh, coalition. Okay. What does this mean from the point of view of European integration? What are the attitudes of these politicians towards European integration, these options? I think option number one, the PD left external support option, uh, PD left and uh, Movimento Cinque Stelle option, would almost certainly bring about, if not a clash with the EU, then certainly it wouldn't have easy relations with the EU. Because the PD wants, if you look at their program, we want a united Europe with US style deficit spending from everything I've heard from these two days of conversations, this is not what other countries of Europe want and not what the EU wants either. Uh, they want Obama on omics. The Grillo-ites are hard to quantify when you look at their program. 
basically they want something similar. They're anti-EU, so they wouldn't be against the idea of a very idealistic vision of a united Europe making big spending. Bersani promises in Berlin during the campaign, and Bersani promised he would implement the fiscal pact and all this kind of thing, were of course predicated upon a continuation of the alliance with Monti in the subsequent government, but that didn't happen. Now option number two, the governissima, I honestly cannot see the, the great coalition option taking place. If it did take place, I think it would have to be anti-European and anti-EU simply to hang together. I just can't see this option ha happening, but it would need anti-Europeanism. It would need an enemy. And it would be the only... I, I don't believe this is going to happen, because I don't think the PD is going to go for it, but in any event, I, it's fun. <coughs> option number three, I think, the All the President's Men, is probably the most likely to carry on current pro-EU policies. I think the current president, Giorgio Napolitano, if it is he who makes the choice, would never choose a government that he thinks would harbour pro-anti-European uh, sentiments. But of course the trouble with this government is you're basically kicking the can down the road. No? Sooner or later you'll catch up. It, it can't go on forever, a government of that time. And I think option number four, vote again, well, if that happens, I shall just transfer. I shall have transferred my savings to Switzerland, and I won't be the only person who will have done it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Now for the